Hello, everybody. This is the Chocolate News Podcast. And this week's podcast is sponsored by the Ohio Lottery. Keep it fun, Ohio. Play responsibly. I'm your co-host, John Alexander Reese. And if you didn't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the leading African-American-owned newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area and northern Kentucky area. And today we have with us our digital correspondent, Andrea Carter. How's it going, Andrea? It's going fine, John. It's been an interesting week. It has been an interesting week indeed. And we also have our special guest, Iris Rowley, project manager of the Cincinnati Black United Front and consultant to the Collaborative Agreement. How are you doing today, Iris? I'm doing very well and so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you on. Now, before we jump into our main topic, we have some chocolate news to cover. So Andrea, what's the chocolate news of the week? Well, it has been an emotional roller coaster whether you're talking politics, rights, or women in general. The first off, I would just have to say with the Ohio primary, we saw some interesting wins with a number of candidates backed by Trump, won their primary, others did not. But I think what's really interesting is the former Dayton mayor, Nan Whaley, beat former Cincinnati mayor, John Cranley, to win the Democratic primary to right to um, enter the gubernatorial election against Mike DeWine. So it's going to be an interesting matchup to see what Nan says versus what Mike DeWine does. And there's a lot of controversial issues that Mike DeWine has done signed into law, including the heartbeat bill, the, um, the concealed weapon bill, the um, stand your ground bill. Um, he's done another things in the quote of the name of sanctity of pro-life and safety. And there are people just fretting about when the concealed weapons law is going to come into effect in June, what's going to happen. And I think it's it's really, um, it's going to be a really interesting race. I know Nan Whaley is saying that she's going to uphold the rights of women regarding abortions and other issues. Uh, Mike DeWine said his usual, thank you for supporting me, blah, 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 blather last night. But I think what's going to come down to is how um, national politics is going to play a role in Ohio politics and where the voters stand in terms of remaining Republican or going for rights and standing up for what is best for the people instead of what's best for politics. So it's going to be an interesting gubernatorial race. We'll see what happens and we'll go from there. Also, I don't know if everyone's been keeping up with Brittany Griner. Um, she is the WNBA star that was taken into custody in Russia. And now it seems that they believe that she was wrongly detained by the Russian authorities. And she's now caught up in this political game that's been going on the last few months. So it's going to be interesting to see how this case is going to play out and how soon she can get home and be released. So um, we just got to keep watching and hoping that she will come home soon. The last but not least, where I, when I said at the beginning of Chocolate News, it was, it's been a, it's only Wednesday, and it's been a week already of emotional upheaval. A draft opinion was leaked, never before happened. A draft opinion was leaked from the Supreme Court regarding Roe versus Wade. And Justice Alito wrote a draft where he shot down the decisions of Roe v. Wade, why it was shot down, 
and basically wanting to overturn it fully, taking away, away the women's right to have an abortion by saying that women do know this not even a right. It's not even, you know, it's not even a constitutional right. And they're basically sending it back to the states. And the reason why Roe v. Wade came about in the first place is because states handled the issue badly. And women were doing drastic things to have an abortion. There's a huge upheaval, a huge emotional scare. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Justice Roberts came out. He said, yes, the draft opinion is correct. It is um, authentic. But he also has ordered an investigation into why it got leaked, how it got leaked. He's very upset. It's going to be interesting to see how it's going to affect the decision on, on this coming. I think it's going to come in June, at the end of May or June. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. I know there's protests already happening on the steps of the Supreme Court. There's been two protests held here in Cincinnati. Um, we'll see what more is going to happen. I know women are gearing up. And um, it's, 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 going to be, it's not just a battle about abortion. It's a battle about women's rights. I was in a conversation with someone the other day where they said, you know, to the women, how did you let this happen? And I, I think that was an interesting comment to make to women who have not been in control of the legislature or even in held political office until now to help affect change on legislation like this, even though we need more women in office and not out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Thank you, Andrea. So now let's um, move things over to uh, Iris Rowley. So how are you doing, Iris? I'm doing very well. Thank you so very much for asking. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I just want to thank you for coming on today's show. Oh, no. Thank you for um, having me. This is it's been a great show and awesome information, and I'm just uh, grateful to be here. I just wanted to ask, so what is the Cincinnati Black United Front exactly? What is or who is? I, so I mean, who is? We, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. We are an organization that formed in the year of 2000 after 14 downtown restaurants collectively closed during what we call, um, have called our Jazz Festival Music Fest the Macy's Music Fest, and now I think it's the Procter & Gamble Festival. It is the largest revenue-generating event um, that Cincinnati has had and probably will have throughout its, its existence. It is an event that where we have upwards to 65,000 African-Americans and other people emerge on the city to hear culturally relevant music, and partake in activities that are designed for our culture um, in the city of Cincinnati. Within that same year of, of 2000, right after those 14 downtown restaurants closed, we had what we call two and 24, where two unarmed black men were killed at the hands of the Cincinnati police. Both of them were shot and killed within 24 hours. The first black man, his name was Jeffrey Irons. Jeffrey Irons was a black man who suffered from mental health issues, had stolen something from a grocery store, ran, hid under a car and was shot and killed. Within that same 24 hours, we had another dear brother, Roger Owensby Jr., who was um, just got home, been home six months from his second tour of duty, where he was the sole parent for his daughter, had taken a walk to the neighborhood store and was killed by 
asphyxiation, a chokehold um, by Cincinnati police and other municipalities. That sent Black Cincinnati over the edge. It sent Black Cincinnati to a place of traumatization, of the worst feeling in the world. And what was even worse about that time was that we were told that things were okay. So it was an organization of Black people who, who had come together first to protest at those restaurants that had closed who had gotten our tax dollars to open during a season where we come and we bring the most revenue to the city. So we were fighting for an organization that fights for the civil liberties, civil rights, fair and equitable treatment of Black people in the city of Cincinnati. That's who and that's what the Cincinnati Black United Front is. It's been, what, 20 years since the collaborative agreement agreement uh, was first started, right? 20 years? It actually has been, it's 21 years. So we started oh. the process of, um, officially, we say 20 years because we signed in 2001. Um, but we actually started the process of collecting um, what Black people's experiences had been with the Cincinnati police in the year of 2000. We formally started collecting stories in January of 2001 after the 2 and 24, um, because the state requires that you paint the landscape of what you're trying to determine is happening to a group of people. Um, so we collected over 400 stories in the month of January of 2001. Um, to help our, our attorneys formulate exactly what was going on. And if I may add, John, yes. that was the most humbling experience that I'd ever participated in in my adult life. And here's why. No one had ever asked the Black community inside of the city proper how it felt about its police and how its police had been treating them. And really? when we made the call for people to come out we have folks come with their grandchildren, with their spouses, with their brothers and sisters, with their friends, their grandkids. We had, we had parents pulling their children out of school to come and tell us their story and to hear people tell you story after story with documentation. Then a man come with documentation from 1969, pictures, medical records, all of the things that you would need to quantify of what had actually happened to you by the people that you pay to serve and protect you. So that is that is the catalyst of how we got here. Now, after, after we did the collection of the stories, we gave those stories to our attorneys to determine exactly what were we looking at. I mean, we knew that we were looking at something. We just didn't know what it was. And, and we didn't know how we were going to fix it. I will tell you, John, that in the year 2001, I think manna opened up from heaven. And mm -hmm. it opened up from heaven because there was a federal judge that had just been placed on the bench who told us in the Southern District of the uh, Sixth Circuit Court that if we could prove that these actions were in a bigger mass than what we thought, then we could actually file a class action lawsuit. With that came the opportunity of doing additional things, John, because out of that, those 400 stories, out of talking with masses of people, after pulling and looking at cases that were still out there and hanging in the wind, after doing that and taking all of this information to the um, judge, 
we were able to convince the court to allow us to file a class action lawsuit. There's so much in it, uh, John, that I explain it like this. The collaborative itself took 18 months to negotiate. We knew where we wanted to go, and it was the opportunities to reduce uh, mass incarceration. Now, what, 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 what do we mean by that? That meant that what we saw, still some of the things that we see today, disparities in traffic stops. Our lead plaintiff in our case, Bumani Tayemba, who was going to a church school to pick up his children, was pulled over by the police. And what we've seen many, many times, not just in the city of Cincinnati, but also across the country, where Black men and or women and children are made to get out of their cars, lay on the ground, put their hands on the, on the ground, lay out with guns pointed at them. He was simply going to pick up his children. And what we know is that these very minor pretextual stops often result in the loss of life. It often results in traumatization. It often results in arrests that don't need to happen. So we knew that we wanted to start there, where the opportunities of inadequacies, of discrimination, of uh, a dehumanization were occurring. We wanted to attack it there. But we also knew that we wanted to get to the root causation. And that meant changing the philosophy of policing and how police police Black people. There's a huge disparity in stopping someone in Avondale versus stopping someone in Hyde Park. We simply wanted to be treated like everyone else in the city. If I'm not committing a crime, then why are you bothering me? Don't come into my communities doing these giant sweeps. Don't place an additional burden on my back if I just happen to roll through a red light. Give me a warning if there was no traffic coming. Give me the same type of courtesy you would give someone in a different neighborhood. So, John, the collaborative does several things. It settled existing lawsuits, and you'll see those 16 inside of the agreement. And that was the highest award at that time. It's $4.5 million for those 16 cases of people's family members who had been murdered by the police and who had just been out there with no resolution. Then it took our federal lawsuit of alleging racial profiling to address how to mitigate that, right? right. And then the the third thing that it did was gave us an opportunity to look at other systems to talk about crime and blight, because it's not always about police, John. We know that if you don't get a proper education, you don't have adequate housing, you can't have access to jobs, or there's a disparity in wages and, and those types of things, that one could find themselves in doing something that could be unscrupulous. But we also know that resources uh, are not dispersed equally in our communities. If you look around, some of our communities yeah, look like, looks like third world countries, you know, like the community of Avondale used to look before the gentries came. And I'm saying gentrification when I say gentry, right. um, it, you know, in the, in the, in the hallway of going to children's hospital, it had one of the highest rates of infant mortality, infant mortality rates and low birth rates. Why is that? How, how is that even possible? So it gives us the opportunity to address other systems where we can find some discrepancies. And that's what we've been doing for 20 years, John. Uh, I'll say, well, it has been burdensome, cry a lot, we fight a lot. Um, it was well worth it. 
we've changed in our first iteration of the collaborative agreement, we changed over 250 policies. We've been changing policies ever since. Let me just give you an example of what the collaborative process has afforded us to do. Okay. Last year, we were able, we're the only Black-led organization that was able to penetrate the FOP contract. We submitted six points to the city manager to change. We got three of them. And we believed that those were the three major ones. Of course, they're all major, but if we had to pick and choose, these were severely major. And I'll give you the three examples. One was arbitration. For years, Black Cincinnati would see an officer be fired, um, disciplined, and then go through the arbitration process and either get, get, get their job back and get back pay for some egregious act because an arbitrator did that. Um, and that's because there was always one arbitrator that would decide on these cases and that the Cincinnati Police Department was able to go and shop for that arbitrator. So we were able to change the arbitration process to where there it went from one arbitrator to out of 15, all parties get to choose three arbitrators who remain anonymous as well as their findings. Never had happened before. The other thing that we changed, John, was this process called peer-to-peer review. This process is where if Officer John and Officer Carter do something wrong, now if Officer John does something wrong, and Chief Rowley, you know, I got to be chief, and Chief Rowley <laughs> disciplines you, then uh, Officer Carter can come and say, forget that. Forget what the chief said. We're going to go and we're just going to dismiss that. Well, what that does, what that did um, for us, John and Andrea, was it did not give us the opportunity to see officers who were escalating, meaning their behavior could be inappropriate. And we needed to see outliers. So when you, you start small, you escalate, right? When there is no discipline, if you feel like you've gotten away with things, and especially if you feel like you're getting away with things with people that you do not believe deserve any protection of their rights, any civil liberties, you don't believe that they deserve to be treated human, you're gonna keep doing that. So we were happy about that. The third thing that was changed was expungement. We felt as if an officer had an incident with a citizen, specifically a black citizen, and, and that, that citizen complained and or filed the lawsuit or what have you, that that was seen on that officer's jacket for its entirety for that officer's entirety of being on the force. Well, the city couldn't negotiate that. They called us and said, can we negotiate up to seven years? It was currently at three years. So they wanted to negotiate up to seven years. We said, yes. We thought if you did something within a seven year time frame that you'd done it before, when you first did your first incident, we felt like seven years was time enough to show who your true colors were. So we were excited about those three things that we got during the last negotiation. Now, let me say this, John. This is very true that they got a hefty raise. Um, and it shows that they have a very strong union. But it also shows the power of the people. And where you come together collectively, where we, we've been monitoring and evaluating the processes of policing, now, remember in the beginning, I told you we talked to a lot of people about police. We created eight stakeholder groups. And, and of course, Black people was its own group. We, LGBTQIA, nonprofits, for-profits, um, the youth, um, police and their family, the religious community. We had eight 
eight stakeholder groups. And John, if I could show you the grid where we all answered the same questions, they almost were answered equally the same. It's amazing. People wanted people to go home safe. People wanted their spouses to be safe, um, for citizens to go home safe. But how were we going to do that? So we took all of the complaints that we got from Black people, we turned those into trainings and we told, turned those trainings into policies. So what the people said became the blueprint of the collaborative agreement. We wrote it, we named it, and we're still at the table ensuring fairness, equity, and transparency um, in policing and the city of Cincinnati. John, we're currently looking for a police chief. Um, we have, we're currently looking for a city manager. We have 34 points that we just submitted to this administration around policing and public safety. These are the things that we've been doing for 20 years. For 20 years, we've been interviewing lateral officers, new recruits. We train them on the collaborative agreement. We review policies that will allow for the chaos to occur. We changed no-knock warrants last year. <laughs> uh, and we changed regular warrant policy last year, right after Breonna Taylor. But I must say this to you, John. Um, when we reviewed our no-knock warrant policy, we had a protocol that was more stringent than most cities. In Cincinnati, I think we found in one year that they may have executed uh, up to five no-knock warrants. But that's because a judge has, has to sign off on your evidence saying that you can get this warrant. So they had pretty tight stuff, but we wanted to tighten up everywhere where it said warrant. That is the, the benefit that the collaborative gives, gives us is that we can drill deep into policy, excuse me, make recommended changes and, and put those changes on the book, books. It's been a long fight, it's been a hard fight. Um, but like I said, John, if my grandkids don't have to worry about how they're being policed, if someone is going to police them harshly, then the uh, someone who doesn't look like them, who doesn't have melanin in their skin, then I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm gonna stay at the table. I'm currently now in city hall working closer with the city manager's office and the legislators to ensure one, that they don't do anything to sabotage what's already on the books or the opportunity to be more innovative what we have on the books, but to ensure that we get work done. Uh, we have recommendations from our refresh that we're working on. Uh, we have recommendations from the community that we're working on. We still monitor very closely our citizens' complaint authority. That is the place where all things are supposed to come together. We're supposed to collect all the data, all the measuring tools, all the outliers, all the monitoring of officers who have complaints against them, and uh, respectively have discipline, if not firing, and or charges brought. So it has been my life for 21 years, John, and but it, I believe that it has made Cincinnati better. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. Oh, go ahead, Andrea. Well, no, I was going to say that, you know, I one, I got, I met Iris during that whole upheaval when it all first began. And my question to you, Iris, is compared to what it was 20 years ago and the world that we see today, how is Cincinnati different from what we have experienced? I want to be respectful to trauma and pain because it is real. It is very, very real. But when I, I push people to ask their experiences now, because there's more than just Iris who has to weigh in on this. 
since they blanket in the front inside of the collaborative agreement is named as the class represent representatives. Class is all African-Americans and or black people who are perceived as such, who live and walk on the streets and thoroughfares of the city of Cincinnati and come into contact with Cincinnati PD and or agent, their agents. And I know I said that no one else has these agreements because we have the collaborative and we have the MOA memorandum of agreement between the city and the DOJ. Both of those agreements were ratified in federal court together. So they're inseparable, right? The changes are significantly different. And I'll start with this. We can quantify um, in the year of 2001, Cincinnati PD arrested 35,000 people. In the year 2020, they arrested 11,000. We believe it's all to our problem-solving strategy, um, doing data-driven uh, data strategies that focuses on the person who committed the crime and not the community. We've seen lawsuits be reduced. We At one time, we had zero. We've seen mm -hmm. injuries to citizens go down, injuries to officers go down. Um, but we still see the disparities in arrest. Um, because if you look at Avondale, you'll see more Black people are arrested in Avondale. Or more Black people live in Avondale, too. But we still have to pull the onion back. By having the strategy of being data-driven, we believe the police can now focus on real criminals and not make stuff up. By having the citizens oversight, we believe by having this oversight, it would deter officers from acting up. We can now track them. I will say this to you, Andrea. I have officers walk up to me. I had one come to me Saturday at the Closing the Health Gap event. I was there um, hosting a booth on around the collaborative. I have to send you the QR code because now all the documents are in the QR code. Uh, so you can read them freely at your own will. But he said to me, and he was a white officer, he said, Mrs. Rowley, I want to thank you for your work. I want to thank you for the sacrifice. I want to thank you for making my job um, more accountable, making me more accountable. Now, in the year 2001, we used to argue with police. Good gosh. We argued all the time. It took, we argued for three years after we signed the agreement. Now to have that level of conversation, to have that level of honesty, and one can see the beauty of the work and not see it as an attack on their job, because you work for me. You work for me. I'm the taxpayer. So you, you really, you're my employee. So to be able to have these honest conversations, to be able to quantify it with data, um, to see community and police working together on problem-solving projects and communities is definitely different than what we had in 2001. Yeah, I, hey, Andrea, you tell me, what do you think is different? Oh, I think it's very different. Um, I mean, compared to what it was 20 years ago and what it is, I, and in fact, I left the city um, in 2003, right when everything was starting, the foundation of change was beginning. I came, didn't come back until 2011. And in the first few days that I was back in Cincinnati, I was like, oh my God, it was totally different. You could just tell, you know, you feel safer on the street, even though stuff goes on. There was a huge difference. A weight was lifted for certain things. I mean, there's still traffic stops. There's still this, that going on. There's still incidents will occur, but it's not the same as what we see played out around the country. I think the... Cincinnati Police Department is now 20 years later, they now need to grow some more. Yeah. I mean, we all need to grow some more. 
but I think they need to take it to another level to be held at such a high standard that everyone will come to them. I mean, I know we're held at a high standard now with the collaborative agreement, but I think they have an opportunity to take it one step further and be more than mm-hmm. what you see played out on the news every night or every other night. I will say this to you, Andrew, just recently, one of the things that I was very appreciative that happened with the shooting that happened in Covington with the young man with the gun uh, that the Fugitive Task Force was serving a warrant. Well, not serving a warrant, but trying to talk to them about another murder in Cincinnati. I think that the interim chief called me and she asked me, what did, what did I think would be the best thing? And I said, release the body-worn camera footage. That is what we laid out in the agreement. And if you have been following the agreement, you know that when things happen, as set out in the agreement, um, there should be an immediate press conference as soon as some information is known. Not all, because we know that investigations have to, to occur, right? Mm-hmm, right. And then within 48 hours, another press conference. Well, the Kentucky State Police did not want, want the body-worn camera footage out. They didn't want it out. Um, and they believe that when an officer, as what we've had in Cincinnati, we've had to fight with our prosecutor here some, they believe that if you show the footage, it jeopardizes the officer's ability to have a case that says that they're not guilty. We, on the other hand, said we want to see all the, all the footage right now. We don't want you to hold it. We don't trust you. And until that occurs, release the body-worn camera footage. Well, Kentucky State Police didn't want them to. Cincinnati released it. And thank goodness, because people want to see exactly what happened because of that huge mistrust. And that just happened several weeks ago. And unfortunately, that young man lost his life. And I'm very, very sorry to that mom. Talk to that mom all night before they released the, the video camera footage and um, ask her to go view it. Um, that's something else that we put in the policy, let the family see before you just release it to the media, because that didn't happen. We were just so disrespected, not just in life, but even in someone's death that families just, I mean, it's just too much. Um, and so mom and her husband uh, went to see it. The social worker went to see the body cam footage um, to determine what steps they were going to take next. That is something that we didn't used to have happen. I'm sorry, Andrea, I interrupted you. No, no, th- th- that's fine. I, I think that, I, I think that the city the people and the police have grown in such a healthy way that you see more insight into police and you see more insight into community, you know, today that you didn't see 20 years ago. But I think also that, you know, they are, I know there are forces working against it. They would like to see it go away again. Um, but I think, I just think that the police department, they have grown in such a different way that is just unbelievable. Because I feel very safe running in and out of my house late at night because I'm, I have, I trust the police. I believe they're going to be there for me now, you know, unless someone decides not to. But I think right now, I think um, they're there for everybody to do the job. I think a few bad apples have make, made their job harder in this era of what we're going through. But it, I mean, it's not just us, it's around the country that we've seen a growth in gun violence, a growth in certain things. Um, and I think we're all suffering from a little PTSD because of COVID, because of the political climate, because of this fight between who wants to lead, who doesn't, blah, blah, blah. I think we all have whiplash. 
And, um, but I think at the end of the day, it's about the people, it's about the police, and it's about the neighborhood. It yeah. is. And I'll tell you this too, Andrea, you know, I think most of the officers now on the force have all been raised and grown up under the CA. I think to your point, if this is the way that policing is going to be done um, and that we keep out the people who are trying to turn it back, and that would include legislators on, at the state level, right? I think that the conversation that you were having around um, our current governor making this a permitless state where now stand your ground is so chaotic and it makes it harder for police. We know that some police still have these very deep rooted fears based on their biases, explicit bias, right? Not based on anything that has happened, um, that the, the things that we see that are occurring around us and the language and the hate and the vitriol and the not wanting to work together uh, interrupts trying to have a better union between the citizens of Cincinnati and their, and their police department. I agree with, I do agree with everything that you were saying though. I, I think around Cincinnati, they have a lot of growing up to do, but I think in Cincinnati, they have grown up a lot and we have benefited from it. it I mean, I remember walking um, on the anniversary of Timothy Thomas's death. And I remember walking down that street for, I think it was 14th street where the alleyway is. And I didn't even realize because it's changed so much. That's where it occurred. Cause I remember I was working for the Herald and I covered that and walked down that alleyway after, you know, the police tape was removed. And it was like, I didn't even recognize it. You know, it's amazing how things have changed and the feelings still remain. I think our young people need to be educated on what was and what is. I think there's there's a need for education, for understanding, because they're, they're, they don't have to experience what we experienced 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Outside of Cincinnati, it's still going on. And you, you know what, Andrea, I was going to say this too. I think that, and I said this to the current administration, I said it to the mayor and the interim city manager, the citizens expect things now. It's been 20 years of us ramming things down their throats. I mean, we used to read the agreement when we had a radio show on WCIN, paragraph by paragraph. And we've been talking about it, Andrea. We've been active. We've been, it's not died down, right? I mean, it's like present. Uh, and I think that people expect to know and hear something. They don't expect to hear bullcrap. They expect to hear something right? They expect to hear a complete sentence around solutions, right? They mm -hmm. expect they expect investigations and they expect to hear Iris Rowley. It's amazing. I was walking with my husband somewhere. We were going out on a date the other week and this guy hollered out his window. He was driving past like, hey, Iris, I need a collaborative. Never seen this guy in my life, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, okay, that's the bomb. But how do I send it to you? You're driving down the street. So um, I think the expectations of the citizens is what, for me, is what I love. It, it, that's it for me. It's like people expect something different. If you expect to be treated less than, then they will treat you less than. But if you expect to be treated like a human being, like an adult, they will. Now, we know we still have issues. I, I am not saying I am not in OT saying that Cincinnati, Ohio is utopia for Black people and its police because we still see some issues. We know that we still have outliers. But what I will say to you all is that 
the things that we have put in place, the things that we're trying to innovate, and even the other work, working on the other side, like trying to bring back an organization such as CCY, trying to bring back out of the crossfire, trying to understand, you know, the gun violence, trying to understand a lot, Andrea, their team, there are many, many groups out here trying to fix things, challenging other systems to rise to the level of the work that we've done um, on police. We still have a crisis in housing, we have a crisis in wages, we have a crisis um, in, in, in many areas, and we need to be about that business too simultaneously while, keeping, while we're keeping our eyes and monitoring our eyes on the police and monitoring the work of um, how they do their business in the side city of Cincinnati. What is the next step? I mean, 20 years from now, mm -hmm. what can the city of Cincinnati expect from the collaborative and expect, mm -hmm. what can the community expect from the collaborative and expect from the Cincinnati Police Department? What is their next elevation of growth that they should be doing or could well, be? This is why I hate talking to smart people, John, because they ask smart <laughs> questions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what you'll see, Andrea, starting not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, the police will be out doing multiple trainings on things that are significant to the community. We did the community perception survey, and we wanted to know what, what did people want? So the police will be out, and actually, I, I'm going to need your help on this because we need to monitor the conversations. It'll be from now until, where are we at? April, May, June. There'll be eight sessions across the city. We'll be talking FOP contract. They'll be talking training. They will be talking the gun, the new gun task force unit. They will be talking problem solving, how they identify, what, how they are doing it and what they need help with. They will be talking FLP contract. They will be talking youth services. The things that you would you wouldn't know uh, about unless you were in the rooms. These conversations will be had out in the community so that you can hear, so that you can digest, and so that you can comment on what you believe either is okay with you or might not be okay with you. At the same time, we're going to be doing collaborative history, of course, because you have to understand where you've been to know where we need to go. We will be doing clean and safety fund, talking about how to access these grants, how to access money for your organizations when you're doing work in your community. We're going to be talking about what the city manager's office released as, as far as money to help work with you, to help mitigate and reduce violence with them. We're going to be talking gun safety. We're going to be talking about the new ECC Center, Andrea, it was a huge wave of citizens across America asking um, cities to redefine how 911 calls are responded to. Not every call requires a police officer. So that, that, that pilot, you'll see there'll be a press conference on that tomorrow. So there are a lot of things that will happen. And then we're going to have a bigger, we're going to commemorate um, the collaborative and the MOA in August. And hopefully we'll be at the Freedom Center giving out some collaborative agreement awards, listening to those cases that were inside, but engaging people um, and encouraging them to come help us do the work. The last thing, Andrea, you can engage in is um, we're asking people to learn Sarah. We're asking people to learn the CA history. We're asking people to go 
join your community councils, right? Um, because that is where government intersects with community. And I want to say this, especially to Black people and people who uh, don't believe that they have access or influence. Your influence is at that community level. Don't let other people drive you away from being on your community council. You must be there. Step back in. Take your rightful place. If you live in a community and there's a community council, join it. Be a part of it. Join that safety committee, right? So that you can understand how to solve problems in your community. What is available to your community? What is the government saying to your community? It's very difficult trying to talk to people in the community. You have to go to this church or that church when there's a council. And we need to support those councils. We need to make sure that people know that the councils represent the people in the communities, not the development corporations, but the community councils. So those are the things. If I have not vexed anyone to say, well, dang on it, I'm about to get up and hear what Iris is talking about. I need to read those agreements. I always tell people to start there. Read what you don't know. I learned about the collaborative. I was just going to say, I agree with you because I learned about the collaborative agreement when I came back. I, I think I, 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 taught, I, was, I was working with you and you taught me about the collaborative agreement when I got back into town back in 2011, 2012 or something like that. We were hanging out, I believe then. And I just tell people who can, if you can read it. And I think that in, in, in those that way, Andrea, we're the ones that's dictating to the people that we employ how we want them to deploy, how we want them to organize. And if there's anything that I can lift out of the work that the Black United Front has done is that we are the dictators here, right? Um, and there's science to policing, but there's universal science and fairness. There's well, universal science and just treating people with respect. There's universal science and being a service provider. There's universal science and just seeing people. And that's what Mary Frances Berry told us a couple of weeks ago, see people. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for speaking up about the community councils as president of Invest in Neighborhood. I should say president of the board of Invest in Neighborhood. We're all about promoting the community councils because they're doing hard work and they're tackling different different difficult issues, especially safety in the neighborhood, because they're taking on more issues that are slowly not being handled by the city in many different ways. So I thank you for that, encouraging everyone to go to the community council. And if there's anything that we can do to assist you going forward, let us know. Because we well, you, you know, you're my, you know, even though you're over there doing your media thing, let me tell you, John, she's yeah. the ultimate media expert. When HBO came to town, I called Andrea. I was like, uh, can you come and help me understand what I don't know? <laughs> what, <laughs> what am I doing here? And she's all smiles and, and I'm nervous and my husband's fussing at me because they're at our business and we make trophies, right? So it's not a, it's, it's a, it's a junky business. And so she's just like grinning, like, girl, you have HBO here. We about to do this. And everything she told me to do made that event um, be one of the most joyous things that we had ever done. The representation of Cincinnati in that HBO special, we went from just having a conversation to being the solution to the to the nation. That was a 10-part series. And we were the last, we were the first to 
to be recorded, but the last to be aired because no one has done this level of work. No one has done this level of engagement with communities. You all know that 3,500 people voted on the five goals of the CA. That in itself is phenomenal, right? And so that part of the community engagement has always been with us, will always stay with us. That's why I do Freedom Fridays, uh, policing in the pandemic. I had to go and do that on Zoom because of the pandemic. But that is keeping communities abreast as to what is happening. We still do it most Fridays. Um, and if you've not um, heard it, you can always go on my Facebook page and pull up any session. Uh, but let me do thank you, Andrea Carter, for walking us through that HBO thing. I didn't understand why in the world she was smiling so much, but now I do. Thank you so much, sister, for helping us with that. Oh, it, that was fun. I still got pictures from that, I believe. <laughs> But I mean, it, it's just one of those things of when you have a good thing, you need to promote it and it needs to be talked about. You know what the next thing you need to do. What's that? Write a book. I know. I know. So you come on, let's get, let's get on it. Come on. That's a conversation we'll have to have. Yeah. So, but at this point, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Talk about the collaborative. When you launch um, the eight sessions, when that begins, you're going to have to come back on and talk about them. So. I certainly will. And John and Andrea, I say, you know, to everyone that, that is listening, and I know you, your audience is broad and wide, please join your community council if you don't do anything else. I don't care if you're in the city of Cincinnati, wherever you are. If you have the opportunity, join that community council so you can understand its role in working with the municipalities, making sure that your community gets what it needs fighting for the needs of your community because each community is different. If you're in Cincinnati and you want to read the, the collaborative agreement, um, all you have to do is Google it. I am going to put up the QR code on my Facebook page here soon so that you can just take a snapshot of it with your camera and all of the documents will come down. If you're interested in doing something like this in your city, believe it or not, John and Andrea, not everyone has people who fight like this or who know that they can fight like this to really help change a structure that we know historically has been biased and racist to black people and poor people. There is no fight about it. The data doesn't lie. People don't lie. But know that that is your right as a role as a citizen is to help government be better. That is your role. So please, if you need help in stepping into it, reach out. I am in Cincinnati. I could have gone to so many different places to do so many different things, but I believe in fixing home. I don't want my grandchildren having to fight for the same things that I'm fighting for, in of which my grandmother fought for. So thank you all for having me. I look forward to coming back. And uh, let's just let's keep, the, keep our eyes on and do the, the good trouble work. Don? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Iris, for coming on and definitely. And thank you for the very detailed explanation of the collaborative agreement. You can find more information about today's topics and past podcast episodes at www.thecincinnatiherald.com, the SESH newsletter, or on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm John Alexander Reese, and have a good day. <laughs>